your Bibles this morning, I'd love you to join me in Psalm chapter 33. Psalm chapter 33, verse number 12. Psalm 33, verse number 12. Many of us know this passage of Scripture. We're very familiar with it. Psalm 33, 12. Here we know that uh, he's speaking here in this text contextually about God's chosen people, the children of Israel. But God says something very special about nations in this particular passage of Scripture. So if you found your place in Psalms 33, in verse number 12, if you are able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. While you're standing, I want to thank David for preaching last hour and also at the 815. Uh, I feel like I hadn't preached all morning. I'm telling you, they don't know what to expect. I'm telling you, they don't know what they're about to get. Uh, fresh, one, one message this morning, God help me. Uh, is my prayer. Look at what the Bible says here in the text. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. And let me say something parenthetically right here. According to the New Testament, the Bible says, as Gentile Christians, that is, those individuals who have trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord, have been engrafted in, is what the Scripture says. We've been engrafted in as the children of of the Lord. So according to this passage of Scripture, he says, he says, blessed is the nation, which you can put America in there, whose God is the Lord and the people, who is you and I, whom we hath, he hath chosen for his own inheritance. What's the inheritance of the Lord that God's chosen for you and I? Heaven. Heaven is our real home. This world is not our home. You may be seated for prayer this morning. May the Lord add a blessing the reading of his word. Father, the best that I know how, Lord, I yield myself to you this morning only to be used as your mouthpiece to preach your word. God, the last thing on earth we need is another sermon. Lord, what we really need is a message from the very throne room of God. Lord, what you've given us is exactly what we need in the word of God. So I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we think about the United States of America today as a nation, I pray, Heavenly Father, you would help us Get back to the true meaning of religion, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that we'd be about the Great Commission, Lord, today and in future days to come. We love you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You heard about the little boy in class. He was there, and his teacher was teaching a lesson. And uh, this little boy, he had a hard time struggling, paying attention, and he really had a hard time learning, and he was quite a little bit of a mischievous individual. And he was sitting there in class, and the teacher was talking about the birth of the nation and educating the children on the nation, and she had just done a lesson on the signers of the Declaration of Independence. And so she just put it out to the class. She said, little Jimmy, she said, uh, who signed the Declaration of Independence? Well, little Jimmy's eyes got as big as half dollars, and he looked around the room, he looked back and forth, and looked up at the teacher and shrugged his shoulders and said, I don't know. And said, little Jimmy, I've been teaching, teaching you this all week, and I want you to go home, and I want you to think about the question I just asked you. I want you to think about who signed the Declaration of Independence, and I want you to come in here tomorrow, and I want you to give me an answer. Well, the next day, they were in class, and the teacher said, little Jimmy, who signed the Declaration of Independence? And little Jimmy shook his head violently and says, I, I don't know, I, I don't know. She was so upset, the teacher was, that she went to the office. She called the boy's dad and said, I need you to come over here. I need to have a talk about little Jimmy. I've had it with him. So the dad came over and was there, and they were in the office, and the teacher explained, said, I've asked little Jimmy who signed the Declaration of Independence, and he won't tell me. 
He said, where's that boy at? It's in the classroom. He said, get him in here. So the dad got him in there. Dad said, Jimmy, I want you to come right here in front of me. Jimmy Coote stood in front of him. He took the little boy by the shoulders. He said, now, Jimmy, I'm telling you, if you've signed that piece of paper, blessed, you better tell her so we can get out of here. <laughs> it's important that we know who signed the Declaration of Independence. As a matter of fact, in the first service, David referenced the Declaration of Independence, and he talked about in that declaration the one, one signature that's so big. How many know the biggest signature on the Declaration of Independence? Yeah, that's right, John Hancock. The reason why John Hancock's writing is so big in the Declaration of Independence is he was tapped to draft. He had to write it out. Thomas Jefferson had to come up with it, but we find that it was uh, John Hancock that had to write it out. And so John Hancock was the first one to sign it. And he wanted to make sure that King George knew that there was no other, there was no other John Hancock. He was the only one. And as he signed that declaration, he says, I want to make sure that he knows it's me and nobody else with me. He signed his own death warrant along with the rest of the signers saying that we believe that America ought to be the land of the free and the home of the brave. Now, let me just go ahead and say this. I know America's got a lot of stains on her past. There are things that, and we're, we still live from the consequences of our sin uh, here in America. But I'm telling you, this nation was founded upon Judeo-Christian principles. So what does that mean? Well, 242 years ago, the Second Continental Congress met in Philadelphia to vote on a document that was a public announcement to the world that the American colonies were going to declare themselves free and independent states absolved from any allegiance to Great Britain and King George III. It was Thomas Jefferson's responsibility to draft that very first document and get the ideas down on paper before John Hancock would write them out. By his own account, Thomas Jefferson said he was not writing from a position of originality. He borrowed thoughts from the ancient Greeks. He also borrowed them from the Romans. He also borrowed them from the Bible. And he also borrowed them from a man by the name, a philosopher, by the name of John Locke. A lot of people have given John Locke a bad name. They want to talk bad about John Locke, and they want to talk about how awful he was. But let me read you a quote from John Locke. Here's what John Locke said and believed. John Locke said, and I quote, The Bible is one of the greatest blessings bestowed by God on the children of men. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture for its matter. It is all pure, all sincere, nothing too much, nothing wanting, end of quote. That's John Locke. Now, Thomas Jefferson recalls that his intentions in the Declaration of Independence was to be an expression of the American mind. And so he wrote, and I, this is a quote from Thomas Jefferson, and he said this. He says, I want to place before mankind the common sense of the subject in terms so plain and firm as to command their assent. What he was saying is simply this. Thomas Jefferson says, I want to write something that's so plain that the most common-sensed individual can read it and understand where we're coming from. And it was that thought in mind, when he took his pen and placed it to paper, he wrote this out. Men are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It also states that these, self, that these rights are self-evident and that they constitute the laws of nature. Listen to me very carefully, dear people. These principles were taken directly from the Word of God. 
When Thomas Jefferson wrote this Declaration of Independence and drafting it on its very first occasion, he was quoting Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 16 in dealing with the law of nature. We also find that the Creator is seen all throughout the Word of God, in particular Genesis chapter 2. God, not government, is the one that grants liberty, according to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. The pursuit of happiness is found all through the Word of God, and yet we find Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 testifying to the fact that God, in His great love for us, has given us liberty in this world. Of the 56 signers of the uh, Constitution, five of them made up the committee to draft the Declaration of Independence. They were men, these men were men that loved God with all their heart. Now you would not know this today because we've seemed to have swept it under the rug in American history. But I'm here to call attention to it this morning by one by the name of John Adams. John Adams of Massachusetts, who on July 4th, 1776, spoke these words to the delegates of the 13 colonies. He said, and I quote, Before God, I believe the hour is come and my judgment approves this measure, that my whole heart is in it, all that I have, all that I am, and all that I hope in this life. I am now ready here to stake upon it. And I leave as I began, that live or die, survive or perish, I am for the declaration. It is, my, it is my living sentiment, and by the blessings of God, it shall be my dying sentiment. Independence now, and independence forever. It was John Adams who said this, quote, The general principles by which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. What was it that John Adams was willing to give his life for? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The sincere principles of the word of God. When they say that they live from the position of independence, it was the independent nature that you and I have the wonderful privilege and responsibility to read the word of God and to study to show ourselves approval unto God that all men are created we equal and that whosoever will should inherit eternal life it was Benjamin Franklin who said this he was of Pennsylvania when he wrote a letter to the French minister in 1778 he said and I quote whoever shall introduce into the public affairs the principles of primitive Christianity will absolutely change the face of the world what did Benjamin Franklin say Benjamin Franklin simply said this, whoever introduces the primitive form of Christianity, the life of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, and the burial of Jesus Christ, whoever introduces that to the world will change the makeup of the entire world. Oh, do you hear what Benjamin Franklin was saying? He wanted a nation that was a lighthouse to the world to tell the gospel all through the land. Roger Sherman of Connecticut, who, by the way, was the pastor of Jonathan Edwards. In one of his speeches, pointed out the necessity for us to get back to the basics, get back to the Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He was not happy with the direction the United States, or excuse me, at this time, those 13 colonies were going in. And so listen to what he said. He said, and I quote, Admiring and thankfully acknowledging the riches of redeeming love and earnestly imploring that divine assistance which by which may enable us to live no more to ourselves but to him who loved us and gave himself to die for us. End of quote. What did he say about, what did Roger Sherman say about the United States and coming together and signing a declaration of independence? He said that God gave his life for us and because he did... Everyone should hear that blessed story. How about Robert Livingston? 
Robert Livingston was from New York, and on March 16, 1776, he is recorded in the Journal of Congress to present a resolution to Congress which passed without dissent. Nobody voted against this. And in that, uh, in that resolution, he wrote this, We earnestly recommend that Friday, the 17th day of May next, be observed by the colonies as a day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer that we may with united hearts confess and bewail our manifold sins and transgressions, and by sincere repentance and an admitment of a life that appeases God's righteous displeasure, and through the merits and meditation of Jesus Christ, obtain His pardon and His forgiveness. You know what's missing in America today? A politician like that. A politician that will stand up and say, we must and need to come before God in humiliation and fasting and prayer. And let me just go ahead and say this. You know why we don't have any politicians like that anymore? Because we don't got any pastors like that anymore. We need a pastor that will have a backbone that says we're not okay. We need Jesus in America again. I can't help but think about Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson, being that of Virginia, stated this. He says, and I quote, I have little doubt that the whole country will soon be rallied to the unity of our Creator. And I hope to the pure doctrines of Jesus also. Dear friend, Thomas Jefferson had but one desire. And that is for all of us to be rallied around the unity of the Creator God and to have pure doctrines of Jesus. That is that we might understand that the only way of salvation is through Jesus Christ. And so these men, in putting their lives on the line, came up with this document that Thomas Jefferson drafted, and they signed their names to it. They signed their names to it, and then in 1787, as the sun beat down on that hot summer day in Philadelphia, it was not just that the air was hot, it was that the founding fathers were looking around the room and finding themselves in a heated debate over the structure of the next task, and that was our Constitution. Just as the United States had a declaration of independence that was centered around Judeo-Christian principles, now these men find themselves in 1778 there raising their voices one against another, trying to protect the Constitution against special interest groups. Some delegates had to leave the room. It got so heated and so hot on that day. With frustrations at their peak and temperatures on the edge of their seats, one lone statesman stood up. His name was Benjamin Franklin. He's made his way to the pulpit, and as he placed his hands upon it as being the president of the convention, he was the oldest statesman in the room. Listen to the words that he said on this given day. Mr. President, in this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth, and scarce beyond ability to distinguish it whether or not we find it or not, how has it happened that we have not hither once thought to humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understanding? In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection. Our prayers, sirs, were heard, and they were graciously answered. And have we forgotten this powerful friend? Or do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance? I have lived, sir, a very long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see that of this one truth. It is God 
that governs the affairs of men. Dear friend, with that being said, they pulled their act together, got on their knees, asked God Almighty to do something great, and it was on that occasion that they drafted the Constitution of the United States of America, which, by the way, was not inspired by God, but I'm telling you, it's filled full of Judeo-Christian principles that ought to motivate us and move us to hit our knees every year, at least to thank God for men that loved Him and feared Him and gave us a nation where it's freedom, where I can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ we think about these things let me give you three points today that's just my introduction I really got three things I want to say to the church today you already hear my voice that's why I knew I couldn't do three times just once number one the first point I want you to get this morning is America was founded as a Christian nation America was founded as a Christian nation. I love that old hymn, My Country, Tis of Thee. We also know it as America. You, you think about that, that term, uh, tis, T-I-S. We don't say that much. My country, tis of thee. That word tis there is an old English word, and it means it is. That is to say that our country is of God. Because of God, America exists. The first colonies that were formed in Jamestown, Virginia, the first community building there on that first colony, you know what it was? A church. The Puritans that first came to Plymouth Rock, that very first thing that they did, the very first thing that they did, they didn't get out the champagne and toast and have a celebration with alcohol, no. They got on their knees and they thanked God for protection and bringing them to this new colony. Roger Williams, a Baptist minister who established Rhode Island, uh, was a man of God that loved God. They had a, a Baptist minister, if you would, someone that was taking the charge. William Penn, who was a Quaker, established Pennsylvania, as we know, New York, Delaware, Connecticut, North Carolina, South Carolina, and yes, even Georgia. And when you read their writings, you see no doubt that God was on their heart and God was on their mind and that God was in God, and they were thinking about God. And these first people here that were established here in the United States of America wanted God to be number one at the tip of their tongue and upon every institution. William Pym, in writing government policies for Pennsylvania, made sure this. This is what he said, and I quote, All treasures, all judges, and all elected officials have to profess faith in Jesus Christ. What are you, what are you saying? Are they, are, they trying to be, are they trying to be selective in the fact that, that all they want is Christian? No, listen, what they desired more than anything is that a nation know that only, the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Our founding fathers spoke consistently over and over again about utilizing Judeo-Christian principles and values, divining and preserving the United States of America. Twelve of the original 13 colonies incorporated the entire Ten Commandments into their civil and criminal code. President John Adams said this, and I quote, The law given from Sinai was a civil and municipal code, as well as a moral and religious code. These are laws essential to the existence of men in society, and most of which have been exacted by every nation, which every professed in any code, we find these laws. Vain indeed would it be to search among the writings of secular history to find so broad, so complete, 
and so solid a basis of morality as the, the Ten Commandments lay down. What did, Thomas, what did John Adams say about the Ten Commandments? He said, it is that by which we look to, to know what is right and what is wrong. And we can look in secular society all day long, but we'll never find true morality until we look at the Ten Commandments and we find that our laws were based <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> on the Ten Commandments and the Bible by the Supreme Court building that was built in 1935. Carved on the front of that building is Moses in the Ten Commandments. At the House of Representatives, across the Speaker's seat, is a sculpture of Moses. President George Washington said, and I quote, It is impossible to govern the world without God and the Bible. Of all disp dispositions and habitants that lead to the political prosperity, our religion and morality are indispensable supporters. That is, that we're the ones that hold the truth. And if there's ever going to be any true freedom in the world, it'll come from America. Why? Because our freedom is based upon the Word of God. In 1782, the U.S. Congress voted in favor of a resolution uh, recommending and approving the Bible for use in schools. Patrick Henry, the first governor of Virginia and a member of the Constitu Continental Congress, said this, quote, It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not on religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our Constitution ends in the year of our Lord. Our national motto is, In God we trust. Our Pledge of Allegiance came to insignate and put into one nation under God. I'm telling you, America's with beginnings were in the Bible. God helped birth this nation. Let me give you something else. God also blessed this nation. You think about this. In American history, tons of stories are told about God's miraculous intervention, but probably most history books are written by humanists who deliberately keep out some of these facts. But there was a British commander by the name of, of uh, William Howe who was moving 30,000 veteran British troops to take New York. General George Washington only had 18,000 inexperienced troops. <clears throat> the year was 1776. British troops outflanked Washington. Washington lost 1,000 men and two top generals. Washington's troops discouraged without any reason, watch this, without any reason at all, the British stopped their push. Had they kept pushing, had they kept pushing, they would have destroyed Washington and his troops. Yet still they were trapped on Long Island. The only route in order for them to get away was the East River. Whether very bad, very bad and impossible uh, conditions to cross. George Washington called a prayer meeting. Instead of a strategy meeting, he said, guys, we got to get on our knees and pray. And they got on their knees and they prayed and they asked God to give them direction. They asked God to help. And they came to the conclusion that the only way for them to get off Long Island is they had to get on boats and they had to cross the river. And so they said, God, if this is what you want us to do, we'll do it. They got into the boats. And all of a sudden, and they attempted to cross the river. It was storming. Suddenly, at about 11 p.m., the wind died. The rain stopped. The river became as smooth as glass. And as they began to cross, there became a gentle breeze that blew over the river. 
And as it came behind them, it encompassed them and it pushed them along. Even as this miracle still would be impossible to get all the troops across Manhattan Island before daybreak, just before daybreak, a thick fog fell from heaven and draped the troops where the British troops could not see them. When the fog lifted, British Commander Howe was shocked and could not believe. Washington had escaped. Washington and the men recognized God's blessing on America. Dear friend, what has caused us to survive this long as the United States of America? God. What will get us through in years to come? God. What do we need more than anything? God. Why? Because not only do we see that God formed America, but point number two this morning, it seems to me that America has forgotten we're a Christian nation. America has forgotten we're a Christian nation. You turn on the television today, you cannot help but see incivility is on the rise. When you have politicians calling for incivility, you find yourselves in a very precarious situation. In order for us to live civilly, we've got to act civilly. In order for us to act civilly, we've got to have a law to look to. In order to have a law to look to, they ought to be uh, uh, obeyed. The laws ought to be obeyed. And when you remove the law of God from a nation, you remove the law by which they know right and wrong. And without that, you find a world of incivility. Why are we so incivil today? Because we've taken the Ten Commandments away from our schools. We've taken them away from our homes. We've taken them out of our church. Dear friend, listen to me very carefully. Presently, God is inspecting America. So what do you mean? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalms 113. <clears throat> Here in this precious psalm, we find this in verse number 4. Speaking of the sovereignty of God, <clears throat> verse number four says this The Lord, it ought to be all caps in your Bible, capital O, capital L O R D, talking about God the Father, the one true God, the creator of this universe. The Bible says the Lord is high above all nations, and his glory is above the heavens. Who is likened to the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in, our, in the earth? He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifted the needy out of the dunghill. If you don't know what dunghill is, go get your dictionary and look that up. That'll bless your heart. That he may set him with princes even with the prince of his people. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. Here in this passage of Scripture, in talking about the glorious Lord, the Bible says that he is above all nations and his glory is above the heavens. He tells us there in verse number 5, he says, Who is likened to thee, uh, O our God, who dwelleth on 
high. He tells us there that it is he who humbled himself. That passage of scripture talking about how he dwells upon high gives us insight into his looking, beholding, into his seeing what's happening here on this earth. God knows what's happening in America. God knows what's happening in this earth. God does not need to get the news report from the FBI that paints a grim picture of the United States of America. Do you know this? Here's what the FBI says. Murder occurs every 24 minutes in the United States of America. There's a forcible rape every 7 minutes. There's a robbery every 68 seconds. There's aggravated assault every 51 seconds. There is a violent crime every 27 seconds. When you take all that and put it together, that means that there's major crime in the United States of America every three seconds. Ready? One, two, three. Somebody just got killed. One, two, three. Somebody just had a forcible rape. One, two, three. There's a violent crime just committed. It doesn't take us very long to see that we're in trouble in America. What is the answer? Dear friend, I'll tell you what, not, what the answer is not. Religion's not the answer. Today, there are more churches more than ever. I'm telling you, and we say this, there are more Southern Baptist churches than have ever existed in the history of the Southern Baptist Convention. Here's what I don't understand. Why in heaven's name are there so many churches in the, in the Southern Baptist Convention and we baptize less people this year than we have over the past two, three years? I don't understand. It makes no sense to me. I, I think that we just enjoy building country club churches. Let's get together and join hands. Let's just all hold hands together against across the congregation. Let's go and sing Kumbaya. I'm okay, you're okay, we're okay. Here's the problem. We're not okay. We've got to stand before a holy and righteous God. And as we stand before the judge of this universe, we must give an account as the direction we took this country. And God have mercy on the preachers of this age. We're not okay. You need Jesus. Religion's not the answer. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it. He, I think he said it best. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. I'm telling you, what we need is we need Jesus today. Jesus said, I'm the way. Who was he speaking to? Lost people. Listen to me. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord today, you're lost, you're damned, and you're on your way to hell. You say, man, that's pretty strong language, language preacher. Bless God, I'm not telling you what I think. I'm telling you what the Bible says. The Bible says without Jesus Christ, you'll die in your sin and you will go to hell. The scripture says here, though, that Jesus said, I'm the way of all the religions in the world. The only way to get to heaven, the only way to heaven, the only way to God in, in, with eternal life is through Jesus Christ. When you look at the religions of the world, you cannot help but see that Confucius is dead, Muhammad is dead, Krishna is dead, Stalin is dead, but Jesus is alive. He has victory over sin, victory over death, victory over hell, victory over the grave. He came that we might be delivered. He is the only way to get to heaven. So that's so narrow. Oh, listen to me very carefully, dear friend. I don't care about the narrowness of this preacher. I don't even care about the narrowness of you. What I do care about is the narrowness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus said, I'm the way, then he's the only way. Watch this. He also said he's the truth. He's speaking to the learned people. Not only the lost, but also the learned. 
We're living in a world where this world teaches no absolutes. Man, you just, uh, I'm telling you what, we've got what's called relative truth today. That is, whatever your truth is, if it don't line up with what my truth is, then your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and your truth can be wrong and my truth can be right just as long as your truth's right to you. It doesn't matter. Truth is truth. It doesn't matter. No, listen to me very carefully. Truth is truth, but it doesn't matter where you find it. And the only way you're going to find the true truth is in the Word of God. Now, you better not ask me to say that twice because that's not, again, I'm only preaching this message one time. Go home drink me some hot tea. Listen to, this, listen to this statement. Your belief doesn't create truth. Truth is true whether you believe it or not. What you must do is check your belief out with the true truth of God's Word. Jesus said also, I'm the life. Well, who's he speaking to here? He's speaking to longing people. Don't you ever long for truth? Will you ever long for, for real? We live in a fake world, don't we? Fake smiles, fake friends. It's amazing to me how that we have created this whole social media today where depending upon the number of friends you have on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or any of those crazy accounts brings some form of relevance to your life. I get so amazed at people who will leave church and they'll say, well, you know what, I, I, just, I, I just go to, I go to church at home and I, I, just, I follow after the TV preachers. David Jeremiah, I follow after him. I follow after these TV preachers. I mean, I, we just have home church. You know, the Bible says, number one, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as some do. What is he saying? Only lost people stay home. Only lost people stay home. Save people while I have a desire to come to church. That's number one. Number two, bless God, let me ask you this. Next time you get sick, don't call me. Call Jeremiah. Listen, next time you get sick, don't call the church. Don't send us some text. Send it, send it over there to that, that church you watch on TV. When you die, send it out to them. I mean, my preacher's brothers are saying amen. You know what I'm talking about, brothers. You ever long for truth? But here's... Let's have a living room. Y'all come into my living room here. Y'all come on. Let's sit down. I wish we had a cup of tea. <clears throat> Wake up a coffee at least. Let's sit and drink together. I want to tell you something. I deeply, deeply love you. I may have questioned a lot of things in my life. I want to tell you one thing I've never questioned. I've never questioned the call that God's placed upon my life. I know he's called me to be in ministry. I put all my eggs in that basket. Bless God, I, I can't wire houses. I can't do plumbing. Bless God, every time I try to plumb something, it just it leaks. I can't do it. I bought a pool for the kids, David. It's one of those $100 pools, $200 pools, you know. I'm on my third time trying to put that thing up. I'm telling the truth. I put it up the first time that thing shifted. I thought, man, if I don't get them kids out of that pool, they're going to be washed into the woods. I mean, it's just going to be like, this is no joke. I'm telling you the truth. I'll tell you what I did next. I said, we'll put it on the back deck. 
It looked good there anyway. So I did. We drained that thing. Got all the family together. He hoved that thing up on the deck. Put it on the deck. Filled it up. Man, pretty as you please. Oh, it's going to be fun. I'll sit out there in the sun. Get in the pool. Bless God, it's going to be a good time. Woke up the next morning. The deck done caved in. That's going to tell you the truth. So the kid said, Daddy, can we swim in? I said, bless God, you better get out there and swim in for 10 minutes because 15, you may, be, you may be on the ground. <laughs> so sitting on the back deck, empty now. We'll have to get it up and go put it back here in the yard and try it. I'm, I'm serious, I'm on my third. I can't do that. I, I, look, I, don't call me to help you install your pool. <laughs> but let me tell you what I do know. I do know that when God created you, he created an eternal soul. And I've spent my life in the study of God's Word. And I'm here to tell you, I'm just as sure as I'm standing, may God strike me dead. I'm telling you, you're going to die in your sin if you don't come to Jesus. But you don't have to die in your sin. You can come to Jesus. He sent the sacrifice so that you wouldn't have to go to hell when you died. Jesus is the only way. We need to get back to that in America today. Let me give you this fourth thing. You ever long for that? Here's a third. I don't have four. I could do four, but I only got three. Remember, point number one was that that America was founded as a Christian nation. Point number two, America has forgotten we're a Christian nation. Here's point number three. America must remember we're a Christian nation. Why? Why do we need to remember that, Pastor? Well, the Bible teaches that God will judge. He will judge a nation. History's uh, hallways are filled with wrecked nations that forgot God. It only takes a brief look through the Word of God to find nation after nation that forgot God and ended on the rubbish of a lost nation. Do you know the average lifespan of a nation is about 300 years? I'm telling you, as we approach that number, and you look at our society today, we're on on the road to judgment. Jeremiah chapter 12, Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. He's brokenhearted over the children of Israel. He's he's begging God to do something great in their land. And In Jeremiah chapter 12, around verse number 17, listen to what God says. God says, but if they will not obey me, I will utterly pluck them up and destroy the nation, saith the Lord. He said, I will pluck them up and destroy them. So I thought God was a loving God. He is. I thought God was a God of mercy. He is. I thought God was a God of grace. He is. Then why in heaven's name do we see the judgment of God on this land? Why in the world do we, does it seem that, that the wicked prosper and the rich are, and the rich prosper? But it seems like, like Christians say, well, we can't, even get a, we can't even get moving in the right direction. Why is it that the wicked prosper? I'll tell you the reason why. The reason why is because many, many, many years ago, God created a perfect earth. He put within that perfect earth a wonderful garden called the Garden of Eden. There in the Garden of Eden, he created man out of the dust of the ground. From man, the Bible says that he took a rib out of man and he formed woman. These two individuals that were created in the image of God were to submit themselves to God and submit themselves to one another. 
And in doing so, they freely walked with God. We find also that in the scriptures, the Bible says, God in his great love and his great sovereignty said, I'm not making you robots. I'm going to give you something that I did not give the angels. I'm going to give you a choice. You can choose to love me or you can choose not to. And in order for me to show you my great love for you, the choice that I'm going to give you, I'm going to place there in the garden a tree. But here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to eat of that tree. You can eat of every tree, but not that one. You see, the reason why God did that is he wanted to give you a choice. You're not a robot. You have a free will. You can love God, you can walk after God, or you can reject and neglect Him. What did mankind do in that perfect environment? We know the story. Mankind sinned. Say, so, oh, it was that woman's fault. You, know, you can say that. But here's the real deal. We find that Eve was tricked. Adam willfully partook. What are you saying? I'm saying Adam made a choice that day. He chose sin over God. Now, right there, if you and I would have been God, we'd annihilated the whole situation. We'd say, that's it, wiped them out. But God in his great love and his great sovereignty and his great mercy, even knowing what mankind would do, yet giving them an opportunity not to do it. What does God do? God says, I'm going to provide a way for you to get to heaven. I am going to provide a way for your sins to be forgiven. And so we find the curse of sin falls upon Eden. They're kicked out of the Garden of Eden, if you will. The Bible says, as for in Romans, as for as where one man sinned, death and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. So the reason why we die is because of sin. Uh, don't, don't put up with this mess when people say, well, why didn't God create a perfect world? He did. We messed it up. And so God, in his great love, will judge America. Psalms 9, listen to what 917 says in Psalm, Psalm 917. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. <clears throat> I find it so fascinating that when you look at the United States of America there in Washington, you look at our monuments, you look at all of our buildings, you look at, at, at all the edifices that we have built and how we have Moses there and how we have the Ten Commandments there and how we have in God we trust there. And there is no doubt you can take a tour. There are tours you can go on that shows God in America and all these institutions. But what do we want to do today? Watch this. We want to cover it up. They put a big sheet over the wall where you can't see the Ten Commandments anymore. Signs over the doors where you can't see it. What are we doing? We're doing everything in our power to forget God. What does God say about a nation that forgets God? The Bible says the wicked will be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Romans chapter 14 verse 12. Listen to this. We will personally give an account. The Bible says so even every one of us must give an account. You'll stand before God one day and give an account what you did with Jesus Christ. What have you done with Jesus? You say, well, I I go to church and I listen to that preacher scream and yell and holler and spit four rows back. That's what I do. That ain't going to get you in. So, well, I've been to that church and I walked down that aisle when he gave an invitation and I... I gave my hand to old David and he took me up there and he baptized me and and I got baptized. But I didn't look, I ain't going to do it. 
There's a lot of wet, there's a lot of wet Baptist in hell. So while I'm a member of that Sunday school class, bless God, we give money to those little kids out there in Africa that's starving to death, got the bellies all distended from, uh, from famine and from all that. Man, we, we, we do a lot of stuff. Man, I'm going to tell you what, there's a lot of rich people in hell. There's a lot of humanitarians in hell. Man, I'm telling you, religion's not the answer. Remember, the only answer is Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father. But by me, if I were to take a survey in this room today in closing and say, how many of you plan on going to hell? Just raise your hand. How many of you plan on going to hell? Ain't nobody going to raise their hand. Nobody. Nobody wants to go to hell. Let me ask you this. If God says, well, then why should I let you into my heaven? What will your answer be? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, the Bible says, Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Dear friend, if we're going to remember God in America today, we're going to remember Him individually in our lives. That's where it starts. So here's what revival is. Revival is drawing a circle and getting in the middle of that circle and say, God, really need revival in this circle. We need revival in this circle. And when revival comes in this circle, revival will come outside that circle. Why? Because you will not be able to stay in that circle once revival hits. Let me ask you this question. When's the last time you spent significant time in the Word of God? I mean, not one of these three-minute devotion messes. I mean, when's the last time you spent some significant time in the Word of God? Let me ask you this. If you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? If the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. If you know you're going to stand before the judge, then what are you going to say to him? When he says, why should I let you into this heaven? Bless God, I'll tell you what I'll say. I've been bought by the blood of your precious son, Jesus Christ. March 22nd, 1988 was the day that I came to full fruition in my mind in understanding the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. He took my place. That's the day I got saved. You know how I know I got saved? Because I got changed. See, I didn't just say a prayer and that's what qualified me. No, no, listen. I confessed with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believed in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And on that day is the day I got saved. And I've never been the same since. Let's bow for prayer. America is celebrating 242 years. We've come a long way, baby. A long way away from God. Let me ask you this personally. Are you closer to the Lord now than you've ever been? Are you drawing closer to the Lord now? Or has there been a place in your life when you were closer to the Lord than you are today? Dear friend, I want you to take a look at your salvation this morning. I want you to consider this question in all seriousness. God forbid, but if you died today, would you go to heaven? 
If you died today, where would you spend an eternity? Friend, if you're here today and you'd like to be born again, you want to know the truth, you want to be set free, you want to come closer to God, then I wonder, would you obey the Scriptures with your mouth? Would you say this? And in your heart, would you believe this? Would you say something like this in your heart? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He died for my sins I ask you please forgive me of my sins and save me I repent of my sin thank you for saving me in Jesus name